Bet365 sponsored our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The domestic season may be over, but we still have the closing stages of the Champions League and the Europa League to play. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. Who are 45 million members is the world's favorite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, numbers of goals and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through with live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello listener, I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. So, this is how Manchester United's 2019-2020 season comes to an end. Not with a bang, but with some miscommunication at the near post. Yes. On Sunday, Manchester United lost 2-1 to Sevilla in the Europa League semi-final in a game that has more rue than a map of Paris. It's the third semi-final defeat for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men and, yeah, a bit deflating him. So, to help me figure out this game and what happens next, as ever, I'm joined by the most vocal Manchester United pairing since Bruno Fernandes and Victor Nelanoff. Yep. First up, it's that man. The Athletics Manchester United writer, Laurie Whitwell. Hi, Laurie. How are you doing? Carl, I'm, I'm all right, yeah. bit deflated after that, that performance. Uh, well, after that result, rather. I actually really enjoyed the performance, but just obviously, you know, not scoring and, and not keeping them out. You know, the two kind of crucial elements of the game. But um, yeah, good to go. Everything was good apart from the result. Anyway, let's talk to a man who's watched more Manchester United semi-finals than everyone on this podcast combined. It's United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Mr. Andy Mitten. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm flat, but not as flat as after Sevilla knocked United out of the Champions League two years ago. <laughs> I felt then that something really, uh, something was really amiss there, and that would basically be Jose Mourinho losing his job uh, eight months later. I don't think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be losing his job. I can see lots of positives, but you can probably tell by the flatness in my voice. It's still very disappointing to go out for. A, in a third successive semi-final this season and to end the season without a trophy. Uh, so I'll, I'll be all right tomorrow. But I did, um, I'm in Lisbon because I'm covering the Champions League and I had two Manchester City fans behind me who'd come over to Lisbon to see their team win the European Cup and uh, that didn't happen either. So here we go. Manchester United 1, Sevilla 2. Uh, United again get another penalty, their 22nd of this bizarre season. But in the end, they couldn't make their chances count. Uh, Laurie, what exactly happened over the course of those 90 minutes? Quite a lot, to be fair. It was actually a great game to watch, wasn't it? I mean, the first, you know, the first first half really, pretty much all the game was was played at a frenetic pace. That early goal, you sort of felt brilliant. You know, that's exactly what United needed. Settled them down. I felt the the first goal was going to be all important. You know, shows what I know. Sevilla, that that second, they came back really well, didn't they? They they started playing some lovely football, and and the goals that United conceded were were bad. So you know, we can I think we can say that pretty categorically defensively, the crosses shouldn't have come in. 
and then the defenders in the box and at the back post. I mean, literally for both goals, you could probably, you know, criticise all four defenders. You know, uh, Wan-Bissaka for the first just seemed really sluggish all game. I mean, his his tackling was okay again. You know, sort of those long legs that he, he has, you know, were good in, in in situations. But you sort of felt is that because he was in the wrong position in the first place? The fact that he just lets Luke De Jong run, you know, past him even though he can see, or sort of in front of him even though he can see him. I know it's Victor Lindelof's man really, and, and you know, Maguire's a bit too far across and Brandon Williams could stop the cross as well but I don't know I was just looking at that thinking Wan-Bissaka you, you go with your man surely just sort of to stop there seemed you know contrary to, to what a defender's natural instinct should be and Luke de Jong goes and scores I mean I think that's his first goal that he's you know he, he didn't score any for Newcastle for example you know so <laughs> I think that's his first goal against an English side which is just sort of shows I think that's why this one is a bit more difficult for United to take. You know, we heard Maguire and Bruno Fernandes afterwards um, talk about how deflating it was because I think they saw this as a real opportunity. Um, whereas the the, the the exit to Sevilla in the Champions League a couple of years ago, you felt that United were never really going to go anywhere in that anyway. Whereas this could have been Solskjaer's first trophy as a manager. I know obviously there would have been a final against a very good, probably Inter Milan side, um, which would have had all kinds of narratives <laughs> to it. Um, but this felt like a real opportunity opportunity and um, I think there was a I think there's a, a reason why Maguire and Bruno Fernandes were sent out to do media you know they, they said the right things you know they, they are kind of the uh, the example that Solskjaer wants from players um, that they said spoke honestly in terms of the fact that United should have won the game and really it was that you know that that second half that the way they started that second half the blitz that they had there was some of the best football I've seen United play even even during this um, return from, from football you know um, you know the, the the passing and moving and just the finishing. None of the finishes were bad necessarily. They were all sort of decent connections, but you just feel like the strikers that they are, Marshall in particular, I think you know he could have done better with them. The goalkeepers obviously made good saves, but as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has said, you know, he doesn't see any good saves, he just sees bad finishing. And um, <laughs> he touched upon that a little bit afterwards as well. And that was that was the moment, wasn't it? That was when you know they were sweeping forwards and that's when they should have really won the game and you always sort of felt after that that did they have enough in the tank did they have did the kind of um, the mental strength did it sort of creep in and, and, and the nerves you know, come in because that second goal they've got four defenders back and two severe players in fact I think the first goal as well it's it, okay there's a guy in the, in the middle so to be fair there's, there's three defenders there but it's United have got the numbers in both situations so to, to concede it really you know shouldn't be happening um, let's talk so, yeah. a little bit more about this second goal Mm. Sorry to cut in, right? No, so go in. You, you talked about Bruno being a great talker and what the, the television footage caught after the second goal, Bruno having a, a very heated conversation with Victor Lindelof in Portuguese, which I thought was quite interesting. And they want to bring you in here. Um, what did you make of that second goal for Sevilla? I don't think any of the goals look good. You've got to be defending and stopping the crosses coming in. I don't mind the fact that the two players are arguing. I don't think it's anything personal, and Bruno said that after the game. The doubts resurface over Manchester United's defence whenever you see performances like that. I think you look at the statistics, the defence has been comparable in terms of the goals that they've conceded with Manchester City and Liverpool, but sometimes you look with your own eyes and there's a little bit of unease there. I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka has had a decent enough first season. Is he a top-class fullback at the moment? Not yet, there's still work to go. Uh, Brandon Williams is still a teenager and at times it it shows. I think United missed Luke Shaw 
So you can have doubts over all of them. We've spoken about David De Gea. I think that David was okay uh, tonight, but he's not had his, his best season. And I think it all puts into this swirl of where how far are Manchester United away from where they need to be. And that is a team which shouldn't even be in the, the Europa League. United should be in the Champions League. They should be trying to win the Champions League, trying to win the Premier League. It's one of the three biggest clubs in world football. And have just been beaten yet again by a severe team working off a fraction of the budget of United. Put that into context that United have improved. Uh, I still think that Oli knows what needs to be done. I, he still has my, my confidence. It feels very disappointing after, uh, after a defeat like that. We can talk about defence defense quite rightly. But up front... When United played in Seville two years ago, I sat in that ground and it was a nil-nil draw, I don't know how, and the scoreboard was ticking up chances on goal. Sevilla, 15, 16, 17. I've never seen anything like it and somehow United survived. And David De Gea was man of the match that night. Bono was fantastic, as was FC Copenhagen's uh, goalkeeper on Monday. So that shows United are having uh, attacks. They are creating chances but not scoring chances. Once again, it was a penalty, and it's great that United are converting these penalties and Bruno scoring so many of them, but goals have got to come from open play as well, and chances were created tonight. Really enjoyed watching the football after uh, after half-time. I thought, this is the Manchester United I want to see, going and taking the game to a side as good as Sevilla, a team who've got such momentum in this competition more than anywhere else, but don't take your chances. That's going to be problematic, and was. And then if you make those errors in defence um, against the top teams, you're going to be punished. You need to be clinical up front and you need to cut out the errors like that. And if you're not, you don't win, you don't win trophies. You don't win the League Cup, the FA Cup. You don't win the Europa League as well. Support for Talk of the Devils is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the United Kingdom. We've gone years now without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the very first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst you're in the shower. To celebrate this, we've got a special for you right now for everyone listening to Talk With The Levels. You can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. All you have to use is use the free code EPL20. Happy shaving. Three semi-final defeats. Laurie, is there beginning to be a little flaw in Solskjaer's in-game management on these big games? Well, that's a, that's a very fair question to ask when, when it's been three semi-finals now. Um, you look back to the Chelsea game, obviously he changed systems for that, to, to a system, in fairness, that he'd beaten Chelsea with uh, prior. Um, but in that game, he was let down by David De Gea, but then he reinstates David De Gea for this semi-final. And I found that an awkward, unnecessary um, change to make. He's obviously showing that he thinks De Gea is far and away his, his best goalkeeper. Um, but I wonder if that creates a little bit of a problem with Sergio Romero, who has always stepped up and done really well for Manchester United. He's never disappointed and he is quite a vocal goalkeeper. You wonder, could he have organised that defence so that you know to make sure that they weren't shifted across so far? I, I don't know, but um, that, that was an interesting one. I, I think I, I give credit to the fact that he, he picked Fred in midfield, though. Um, I doubted that 
decision. I thought Nemanja Matic would come in um, because he's provided such a good screen. But actually, Fred's energy was was brilliant, and, and it really did combat Sevilla's midfield trio very well. Mm. And, and he did some some lovely passes, and and, and obviously got <laughs> he was probably the guy that you didn't want on the end of that Bruno pass early <laughs> on. Um, you know, you could see where that was going, but nevertheless, he still managed to win the ball and get in that position to to at least have a shot. Um, so I think though credit to him in that situation, but. People will bring up the fact that he didn't make any substitutions until very, very late in the game. And this has been a kind of repetitive situation with Solskjaer. You know, does he does he delay too much? Does he not quite know what he wants to do in games? I think he could see, and I, I would defend him in this because I, I know you've got a different uh, opinion to me, haven't you, Carl? But um, if I could sort of make the case for, for Solskjaer to begin just, just very briefly, because I know I've been rambling on a lot, but I think he... Um, his system was working and they were playing a lot of good football and he obviously knows that you know you've got a front three there Greenwood, Rashford, Marshall with Pogba and Bruno behind who have scored a lot of goals this season and you know in comparison would one matter really have, have affected things Dan James is obviously having a bit of a lull Igalo is a funny one for me because I think he has done really well when he's played but I don't know if something's going on there because again he, he only came on as the, like, the last substitution um, so yeah I'm not sure about that but I, I can see where the criticism does come from the only thing I would say is that he obviously doesn't feel that he has the bench to make those kind of substitutions and, and, and for the quality to stay the same so you look at Manchester City's bench and, and Pep Guardiola was obviously criticised for, for making his own slightly odd uh, team selection to begin with there but he's got you know Mares on the bench Phil Foden on the bench who's okay an academy player but Bernardo Silva on the bench who they spent a lot of money on Mares was a £60 million player on the bench to come on and, and try and change the game so that's the kind of level that United need to be at to ultimately challenge for the title and challenge for Champions League um, admittedly taking the point that Sevilla have a, a lot lower budget than Manchester United so you know that is a, a fair factor to, to, to put into the equation as well Laurie, why do you think it is with Igalo? I mean, he, he did well when he started games. He was doing really well before the lockdown. He's clearly got something. He offers something different to the other strikers. He, he is a natural striker. And Ollie spoke really well when he signed to stay for the rest of the year. So why not bring him on? Yeah, I don't know. It's a confusing one to me because I think you could have changed up. You could, you could have just altered United's attack a little bit I, I like the way that United were attacking but I think you know certainly he would have benefited from coming on soon and freshening it up I don't know I wonder if something's gone on I, d- I don't know um, I mean I know that there was some links with PSG um, that came out not, not not long ago and I don't know is he, is he thinking that um, you know he's got a trust in his guys that are going to be at United for the long haul rather than somebody who's obviously going to go in January at least what do you think? I thought the PSG links were fanciful um, I think he's good. I think he's a, a decent player. I just thought he'd be playing a lot more than he did do. I mean, he was unfortunate when, when he came. He missed the the first few weeks because of the COVID situation in in China. Uh, but he seemed to be getting into his stride. He scored a fantastic goal and a really nice link up in Austria, mm. in this competition. And I didn't expect to see him be starting, but I didn't expect him to be coming on and having three minutes when you've got very little time to mm. change. Uh, the, the game like that, I mean, he, he's got something. I, I wrote a piece in The Athletic a few weeks ago where I sat with Andy Cole and he was raving over Igolo. He said he's got something that he gets behind the, the defenders and he causes a different type of problem to any of the other players Manchester United have. I can understand him not starting, but if he does have something and you've got a game where you're chasing, why not give him more than, than the, the, the pitiful amount of minutes uh, that he got and maybe I'm clutching at straws after the event here but 
it was only after the lockdown that Jose Mourinho, of all people, was praising the strength of Manchester United's bench. And he was saying, I wish I had a bench like that. Now, that might have been a bit of Mourinho kidology, but where does the truth lie? Ollie wants two or three players. I can completely see that. But is the bench that weak that players can't be coming on um, when, when you're chasing a game in the Europa League? What happens when Manchester United get into the Champions League and they're playing against Bayern Munich or Barcelona? Well, Barcelona maybe not the best example to give <laughs> at the moment. But you know, the, the, Ollie talks of the strength of the squad. And yet the reality is when weaker players are played, United struggle against Chelsea, struggle against Norwich. So... I'm just not sure where the truth lies. Well, you're quite critical of, of well, not critical, are you, Carl? But you, you, you question, you wonder about Solskjaer's in-game management, don't you? Yes, I do. I think if you look at only last season, if you can imagine the 2018-19 season, you know, United's best performance, best performance or best result in uh, European football came from beating Juventus by simply chucking on Marouane Fellaini, a player who, you know, we all, you know, has left Manchester United for a reason. He's not necessarily Manchester United quality, but offered something different off the bench. And I think in one-off games, particularly in cup football, it doesn't necessarily need to be the player to have the same quality as your starting group. But I definitely think you should have a plan B. And one worry I have with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that across these last two games in the Europa League, it's been 38 chances against FC Copenhagen and against Seville and only two goals. And both of those goals have been penalties. You've got a front three that are incredibly good at, you know, quick passing, great dribbling and shooting and going around bodies. But when a team can essentially like sit deep and block that, you know, passing lanes through the middle, Manchester United don't really seem to have a plan B. There's no real options out wide when you look at their fullback options. I think um, combined fullbacks have got five assists over the course of this season, the Premier League and the Europa League. So that's not really a threat coming out wide. Like what happens when those front three aren't clicking. And, you know, to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's credit, he has found a way to get that front three to click very, very well. But there is still a way to go. I, I totally take your part on the fullbacks, and I think that's probably an issue that United are studying. I mean, they've obviously worked a lot on Wan-Bissaka, haven't they, um, over the course of the season, who who I think ended up with four Premier League assists, maybe even five. But... Um, but he, he still doesn't seem a natural for, for getting the ball out of his feet and crossing it first time. You know, I think there's a moment in the first half where, he, you know, he sort of takes a while on it and then hits the first man and you kind of like, you, you don't have any faith necessarily, do you, in, in OK, there's going to be a dangerous ball like Sevilla produced. I mean, wow, you know, those two crosses, you know, you know United, we haven't really seen much of that this season. Williams obviously being naturally right-footed, so it's a difficult one for him to get to the byline and, and cut with his left foot. Luke Shaw possibly would have added a lot more and him and Rashford were linking up really well, weren't they, before he, he got his injury. Um, so I wonder if... if, if um, that has sort of hampered Rashford's uh, offensive threat. I suppose at all, I'd say in, in the chances, does the does the fact that they've created so many chances not show that actually the system's working? It's just they're not finishing it, and because most of the chances were pretty good. You know, certainly in, in in the Sevilla game, were good chances. You know, you oh, look yes, at Greenwood, you look at Marshall, you look at Rashford. I think so, but I also think we can get too fixated on changing the game in terms of quality and, and in terms of you changed the game and made it better rather than change the game and just did something different. I think, especially in in one-off games, Champions League games, you you know the Europa League games, or, or even FA Cup games like that. Sometimes you can win a game just by punting it to the big lad. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. not big, it's not clever, but in a game, in 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 knockout games where the result is king, you need to have something else. I think he was. I think he always had in his mind extra time, so he's thinking. 
if I do this now, then, okay, I've not got, you know, X player for, you know, another 30 minutes of extra time, you know, if it doesn't work, you know what I mean? So, but I, I, I take your point. I think, you know, obviously hindsight, you know, you, you were probably screaming it from minute 60, <laughs> but, um, you know, he, oh, he obviously, you know, he could have, have, should have changed it early because ultimately United lost. Harry's sponsors Talk of the Devils podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Harry knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. There's a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So, if you're in the middle of lockdown and your beard isn't quite the way you want it, I'd recommend getting a bit of Harry's. And the great news is, as a listener of Talk of the Devils podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and you can get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash talkofthedevils right now. That's harrys.com slash talkofthedevils. Olive on social talks about Harry Hindsight, so let's stop looking in the past and start looking towards the future. Uh, Jalen Sancho was mentioned again after the defeat with... Paul Scholes saying he's the sort of player that would have helped United win this game. Sancho himself seems a lot more comfortable in Dortmund, tweeting about a preseason game where he linked up well with Jude Bellingham, another player that could have lined up for Manchester United in the weeks to come. Laurie, what do we know about Manchester United's plans for the transfer window now? Kind of similar to what we've been talking about. I know you always love our Sancho section, <laughs> um, uh, but clearly he is the, the primary target. Checked him United again. They haven't given up, you know, the pursuit, even though Dortmund's deadline has passed and Sancho looks, you know, he's playing for Dortmund. You know, he, he had that incredible skill today in, in that friendly. Um, so, yeah, he, he's on the list. They have got other options. Andy obviously has reported on Kingsley Coman. Um, Douglas Costa is one that I've heard as a, as a potential, I think, that's been, you know, suggested to United rather than necessarily them pursuing it. But that's, that's one that, you know, you'd imagine would be a more simpler um, transfer to make. And I know that wouldn't fit United Solskjaer's um, perhaps plan A strategy, but it's a it's a sort of quality player that you might have be able to bring off the bench in, in these kind of circumstances. There's obviously other options. Jack Grealish we've spoken about before as well. I I still think he would be benef- beneficial to Manchester United. It's the price. It's it's how much they're going to play for these players. Um, we we know how the Glazers work. They want to study the details. They want to know why they're committing a lot of funds and they want to get you know the the best deals in their eyes and, and that's what often makes things a very slow process and i want to throw this to you do you think Manchester United could be better off spending their money on other positions this is the argument against paying so much for one player um with sancho uh, i spent last week in germany i spoke to people who watch him all the time i asked them you know one of the guys i spoke to is a bundesliga winner who watches that league all the time and i said Tell me about Kingsley Coman. Tell me about Jaden Sancho. Uh, and I asked him about a couple of other players. And Sancho came out on top. He just said he's, he's got the potential to be world-class. Although, interestingly, he said he was better last season than this season. And this was an international footballer telling me this because I'm not watching Jaden Sancho every week. So you build up a picture of, of how good a player is. And clearly he's being talked about for the type of money he is because he's excellent. And, yeah, British players don't tend to be cheaper he's got the age profile 
is that um, game changer, that X factor which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer talks about. He's, he's absolutely got that. But Borussia Dortmund do not need to sell and they're coming under more pressure because they are selling with Bayern Munich saying, well, it's not our fault we're good if our closest competitors are, are selling clubs. And Dortmund have seemed emboldened in the last week about keeping him. They've got a player with two years left on, on his contract. No doubt that he does want to move to Manchester United. But does the player push for that move? That's what has to happen, and it's happened loads of times before in football. Um, there, there is no agreement, as far as I un- understand, uh, between Manchester United and Borussia Dortmund, or between uh, the player uh, as well. So then you look at maybe what Liverpool would do and buy three players for 30 or 40 million each and make them better. And Jurgen Klopp's done that very, very well. I mean, Ollie's the manager now. He's got a it's a big summer for him. This because I think he recruited well um, last summer, and he's got to do the same this year. His his project is only halfway there. Uh, United are better now at the end of this season than they were at the end of last season. Those three semi-final defeats they are frustrating, but the team had to get to those semi-finals in the first place, and there was some good football along the way. You know, United knocked Chelsea out of the League Cup, for example, away. That was a great performance. And the run since January has been uh, decent. But if we're going into the next season and no new players have come, or we're getting a repeat of the the last-minute signings, Ala Fellaini a few years ago, fans are going to be frustrated with that because Oli said on the record that he wants two or three players in. The club's perspective is it will be difficult to bring players in. But that won't really wash with fans when they see rival clubs bringing players in. Clearly, United have got to move some players on as well because the wage bill is massive. It's the second biggest in world football. But then you look at certain players and think, well, why have you been given a new contract if you're not going to be playing? If the manager doesn't trust you to come on uh, as a substitute or get more matches. So I think United need to be decisive and 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 get the players in that they want to do and in their mind have a cut-off point. If Sancho's not going to happen, then look at the plan B, the plan C. Uh, that was the whole point of the recruiting reboot, uh, uh, reboot, sorry, that they've got different irons in the fire. And I know that they have. I know that there's been communication with various agents. I know that players have put themselves forward to Manchester United. Some have become public, some of them have not become public, um, but it's it's difficult. So I wrote about Coman, for example. Absolute interest there. Would the player go? Yeah. Is the player going to come out and say he wants to go? No. Would Bayern Munich want to sell him? Outwardly, no. Uh, but then you look at the Bayern Munich team and you think there's a lot of players in that position. So it's going to be difficult to bring any of the players in that United want, as far as I can see it at the moment. And you're continuing to get players linked to the club where there's no truth whatsoever. Agents are basically using Manchester United, knowing that uh, their client will get loads of hits on the internet and that the agent can say to potential suitors, yeah, he was linked with Man United, when it's not even true, it might not even mean something. I'd love to see Sancho come, uh, and I think most Man United fans would as well. Uh, 120 million, I'm doubtful whether United should pay that. It's not my money, but football's economics have changed and not for the better because of COVID. So I can understand why United have hung back. 
but it's frustrating at, at, at the same time. And sorry for being so indecisive with all this because it just all seems to be hanging in the air. See, this is where I would disagree with you, Andy. I know we don't often disagree, but 120 million for, for Jaden Sancho, for me, it, it's, it just makes sense because if you think about it, he's 20 years old. He's, you know, if United play it right, he should have 10 years at Old Trafford. 120 million over 10 years, it's it's a pittance. It's, you know, buying a 10 million pound player a year and okay, yeah, salary and there'll be a signing on fee, no doubt. And I'm sure there'll be agents fees connected to that. But for a player of his talent, with, there's, there's nobody comparable in Europe that's getting his goals and assists that he's getting. And I know Bundesliga is a different league to uh, the Premier League, but he's played in the Champions League and he's pretty sustained there with his, with his statistics. So, and he's played in England before, it, it, you know, he, he would, you'd think, be able to settle in pretty pretty straightforwardly so that's why I would say 120 million even in this post-Covid world that we're living in because ultimately a hot property is a hot property as, as somebody said to me a long time ago on this and, and whether Sancho will be worth the money and if you know you, you pay him you, you pay it now he, his value will go up you know next well obviously if we're at a lull now with with Covid then his age and his, his his scoring rate in the Premier League hopefully would would go up. So I just think it makes sense to do the deal. Okay, you, you might have to structure it in the right way, um, but that's why I would I would think he's, he's worth 120 million euros if that's what Dortmund are asking for. There's two things here. It was United who were saying off the record a few years ago they can see the days of a 200 million pound player. It mm. was United who said we can compete for anyone when it turn when it comes to money. Mm. Admittedly, before. PSG um, uh, signed Neymar. I can't see United doing what Real Madrid did with Cristiano Ronaldo, paying the money up front, bang, here you go. Um, you used the word structured, I totally agree with you. Uh, there's got to be a fee reached where both clubs can save face. And it was exactly the same with Bruno Fernandes. So didn't work out last summer and Sporting could then go to their constituents and say, we got this amount of money for him and keep them happy, even if it's structured. Because once a deal's been done, it becomes old news pretty quickly. And I think Borussia Dortmund have got to, would have to do that as well. They'd have their headline fee. And I agree with you, if he's going to be a brilliant world-class player um, for, for 10 years, within a few years, it will seem like a bargain. And we've had that before. I mean, when Anthony Martial signed... What was the chant which United fans were singing? 50 million down the drain. <laughs> um, Tony Marshall scores again. He was mocked by the media, but also by United fans who, who'd never heard of him. I just don't think it's United style right at the moment to go out and go 120 million. And if they go out and pay it, brilliant. I would love to see that player come to Manchester United for the reasons that I outlined when we started talking about him. Let's wrap on a nicer note. Yes, this is a... This 360-day-plus season for Manchester United has finally finished. But a third-place finish and three semi-finals, albeit losing ones, is probably the best United has been from both a performance and results-based level since the days of 2013. Laurie, you've been covering United all season. What have you made of it? I it, there were some dark moments definitely I mean you, you think back uh, you know to Newcastle uh, Bournemouth uh, various others but ultimately a positive season um, because you can see progress being made it's exciting you look at that front line you look at the attacking football that United have played um, and I, I judge it with a with a, a rose tinted red red tinted spectacles Andy another season done what do you make of it it was a lot better than last season it feels flat now. And I'm always frustrated when Manchester United go a season without winning a trophy 
but I think that progress has been made. It absolutely needs to continue. If we're talking in a year's time, third place finish with no more trophies, then I think I'd be substantially more disappointed than I feel tonight. We'll be back sometime next week. Don't worry, listener. The season may have finished, but Talk of the Devils will not. It's thank you from me and thank you from Laurie. Cheers, guys. And a thank you from Andy as well. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can read all of Andy and Laurie's great writing on Manchester United over at The Athletic. Access is currently free for 30 days by going to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod for some of the best Manchester United writing you will find absolutely free for 30 days. Thanks for listening to Talk of the Devils. We'll be back next week.